Uh, well, good morning, Calvary. It is great to be with you. Uh, again, my name is Jason, and I've had the privilege of, of being the student pastor here for almost seven years. Really fun to be able to be with you this morning in the comfort of your living room with your coffee in hand. And I have to confess, this is the first time I've worn real clothes in about five weeks. And uh, first time I've worn jeans. I've, ha- I've asked myself a couple times, should I put jeans on for this particular thing? The answer has always been no. Um, but, but if we're honest, we've all been rocking the Zoom mullet, okay? You've, you've done it, I've done it. Business on top, casual on the bottom. We know how it goes, I've been there. But it's great to be with you. And I just wanna say too, from a personal standpoint, I just wanna say thank you. The last time I preached, I shared a little bit about what my wife Melissa and I are, are experiencing as it re, uh, relates to trying to be pregnant. And I just wanna say thank you to you as a church. You've been so gracious to us, so kind to us. And I know so many of you have been praying for us. And I just, I just wanna say thank you. Your, your words of encouragement and your prayers have been so meaningful and impactful for us. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you before I started. I would ask for you to continue to, to pray for our family um, because my, my wife is uh, the new assistant girls soccer coach at Satterton High School. Um, and you're like, why is that a prayer request? Now, I am the assistant girls soccer coach at Penridge High School. So the Lawler household this fall is going to need all of your prayers. But uh, I, have, I just wanted to start us off with a story this morning. When I first got hired here at Calvary, my boss's name was Brent Fink. Many of you guys know him. He's an awesome guy. He's, he's helping pastor a church in Kentucky now. Uh, but I got hired by Brent. And over the course of my first couple of years before uh, Brent transitioned to a, his new role, I got to know his family really well. And, and Brent had a, a son named, or he still does have a son named Aaron. And when I knew Aaron, before Brent moved, before the Finks moved, he was young, five or six years old. He, he had more energy than anyone I've ever met in my life. And uh, I, I learned a hard lesson about Aaron one day. One day, I think we were at Harvey Cedars. I, I just, I kind of like gave him a little tickle under his armpit. It wasn't like a, t- it wasn't like a full out, like attack of tickling. I just like sort of tickled him and, and he laughed. And, and after he stopped laughing, he looks at me and he goes, I will never forgive you for that. I was like, okay, like, whoa, my bad. Sorry, dude. So I, I said, I told Brent the story. I was like, yeah, hey, I tickled Aaron. He told me he's never going to forgive me. And Brent's like, I kind of laughed. And Brent's like, oh no, he's serious. Like he's not, he hates being tickled. He's never going to forgive you. And I'm like, all right, I learned my lesson the hard way. Um, and, and no, that's a funny story. I hope it's a funny story. It's, it's hard to tell if anything's funny, because you're not here. I hope you're laughing couple times throughout this message in your own houses, who knows? Um, but if we're honest, we, we might have felt that way before with some people and, and probably in a situation a little bit more serious than tickling, but you know what? I don't know how I'm ever going to forgive that person. I don't know how I'm ever going to forgive them for what they've done for me. Some of us have been on the other side of that. Some of us, we're the person that somebody else doesn't know how they're going to forgive. Some of us, we have no problem forgiving because at the end of the day, we're supposed to forgive and forget, right? But what is forgiveness? What does forgiveness look like? What is it supposed to look like? Sometimes I think, and I'll put myself in this category, we get a little bit confused when we think about the topic of forgiveness and what it's supposed to look like tangibly and practically in our own lives. And we've been in this series where we've, we've been talking about fake news. Uh, and what we've meant by that, if you're just joining us for the first time, which is awesome, we, we're glad you're, you're with us, is we're talking about maybe some sayings or things that 
Christians, people in the church tend to quote as being in the Bible, but they're actually not in the Bible. So I think some of us, when, as it relates to forgiveness, we, we, we think, well, we're supposed to forgive people, Christians, right? We're supposed to be known for forgiveness. We're supposed to forgive people. Um, I don't want to hold things against people. I don't want to judge people. I don't want to condemn people. I don't want to hold grudges against people. And, and so uh, forgive and forget, right? Just forgive and forget. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. But is that what forgiveness truly is? Is, is that what God intended for us to do as we forgive the people in our lives. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. And so before I continue, I actually wanna invite you parents that are watching this morning. If you're watching with any of your kids, you don't have to do this, you can just keep going. But if you want to, I encourage you, um, pause the video after I ask this next question. Just pause it, have a conversation with your kids, and then you can resume the video uh, whenever you feel, you feel ready. Again, you don't have to do this, but, but if you have kids, maybe just ask them, hey, what does forgiveness mean to you? What does forgiveness mean to you? Have a conversation with your kids. Pause the video. We'll be here when you resume. You don't have to because I'm just going to keep going. But maybe ask your kids right now, what does forgiveness mean to you? But this morning, we are going to read two passages from the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. And uh, a couple of things, uh, I think there's a couple of things about the book of Hebrews that will be helpful for us to understand as we navigate this conversation about Forgiveness. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's some speculation. We actually don't know for certain who wrote it. But there's, there's two things in particular that the author of this book talked about repeatedly throughout the book that I think are going to be really helpful for us as we are trying to best understand what forgiveness should look like. And the first thing the author does is he's comparing what's called the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And covenants are promises their oaths, their structures of relationship between God and his people throughout the narrative of the Bible. And so the word testament, actually, so if you're familiar with the Bible at all, it's split into two sections. We call them the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is, is what's recorded in history in the Bible before the life of Jesus. The New Testament is the part of the Bible that's about the life of Jesus and what happens after his death, crucif- uh, his death resurrection, and ascension into heaven. We split them into what's called the Old and New Testament. Now, testament it comes from a Latin word, testamentum, which is the Latin word for the Hebrew word for covenant. So we could actually think of the, the Bible structured in not necessarily Old Testament and New Testament, but Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so before, if we look at that structure, we can see that before the life of Jesus, the people of God existed in what we call the Old Covenant. Now, God makes a few covenants, a few promises in, uh, with his people in the Old Testament, but the covenant that we typically refer to as the Old Covenant is a covenant that God makes with his people through the person of Moses in the book of Exodus. Some of us, I'm guessing a lot of us have heard of the person of Moses. We might not know anything about Moses other than, oh, Moses is somebody in the Bible. But God structures a covenant. He makes an oath to his people um, through Moses in the book of Exodus. This is actually when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Um, and, And here's what's important for us to know about this covenant. This covenant included a law that was impossible to keep. We think of the law as the Ten Commandments. There was actually way more to it than that, and it was impossible to keep. It included a priestly 
system. It, 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 the law included and the covenant required a priest to make uh, sacrifices annually every year um, on behalf of the sins of the people. He had to make uh, sacrifices of atonement so that uh, the sins of the people would be forgiven. This was required as part of the covenant. And so once a year, a day that we now know of as Yom Kippur, which means day of atonement, the priest would go make sacrifices on behalf of the people. And this had to happen every year because every year the people continued to sin, continued to disobey God, continued to, to go against God's law. The second theme of Hebrews that we need to understand, I think is helpful for us to understand this morning as we're talking about forgiveness, is this theme that, that the author of Hebrews is talking about many things that are happening in the Old Testament, different things that are happening, different people that pop up, and what they're doing is they're actually pointing to things that are going to happen in the New Testament, and more specifically, they're pointing to what will happen and what will be fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so he's talking about Old, Te Old Testament, Old Covenant things that are happening as a foreshadowing and a pointing towards who Jesus is and what his life is going to mean and what his death is going to mean and what his resurrection is going to mean. And one of the ways that the, the author of Hebrews describes Jesus as our high priest which we just sort of talked about a second ago as far as a priest was someone that would make sacrifices on behalf of his people. And the, the author of Hebrews refers to Jesus as a high priest. So with that in mind, I'm, we're gonna read uh, start Hebrews uh, chapter eight, starting in verse seven. And that's not, I'm just gonna admit, right? I make typos. There is not even 17 verses in the Hebrews chapter eight. That was my bad. I sent the wrong stuff. So we're starting in, so if you're looking at your Bible, you're like, what, am I, is my Bible missing a page? It's not, that was my bad. Starting in verse eight, or verse seven, Hebrews eight. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So this author is actually quoting an Old Testament prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And what's interesting is this starts in verse eight by saying, God found fault with the people. And I've been doing some research this week and some things that I've read said an, a better translation of that verse is actually God found fault and said to the people, which is implying that God wasn't finding fault with the people. He found fault with the covenant. And we can see that that's true because in verse seven, before verse eight, he says, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. The only reason they needed a new covenant was there was something wrong, something incomplete with the old one. 
So God is saying to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, and that's what this author of Hebrews is saying, is, hey, I'm going to establish a new one. I'm going to establish a new one. The old one was incomplete. It was temporary. I'm going to establish a new one. And instead of having laws on stone, like he had in the Ten Commandments, my law will be written on your heart. And the kicker is, he says at the end, I will remember your sins no more. All right, put that in your back pocket for a second, or the front, front pocket of your robe, or pajamas, whatever you're wearing. Uh, later on in the book of Hebrews, the same author says this, starting in Hebrews chapter 10, verse one. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away Sin. So I'm going to keep reading, but I'm going to pause for a second and say this. The, the pre, annual priestly sacrifice that we talked about earlier as being crucial to the old covenant, its point was to serve as an annual reminder of sins. Now, I don't know about you. I love it when people in my life remind me of all the bad things I do. I don't know about you. I love it. Okay. I don't know if you can catch my sarcasm, but not only did it serve as an annual reminder the sacrifices themselves could never make perfect the people the sacrifice was being made for. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened or needed to happen year after year. And on top of it, it says that the blood of animals doesn't even have the power to take away our sin. So what was the point? What was the point of, of sacrifices being made year over year when their whole purpose was to remind us of our sin and they didn't even have the power to remove our sin? What was the point? Well, we're going to read that in a, right now. Starting in verse 5, I'm going to read verse 5 through 7 of Hebrews 10, and I'm going to skip forward to 11 through 18. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. The author is actually quoting a psalm here. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Starting in verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We just talked about that. But when this priest, referring to Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He's quoting the same passage from Jeremiah. Then he says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. 
So what this is showing us is that the Old Testament sacrifices are an imperfect picture of what will be accomplished perfectly through Jesus. It says in this passage that Jesus came to do God's will. Well, God's will was to establish a new covenant. And Jesus came because a better sacrifice was needed. Jesus came as our perfect high priest who offered a sacrifice on our behalf. Only this time, and unlike the old covenant priests, he didn't need to make the sacrifice year after year. He only had to offer it once. And unlike the Old Testament animal sacrifices, which had no power to make us holy, Jesus' perfect sacrifice has the power to make us holy. In the old covenant, there was an annual reminder of sin. Now Jesus is saying, I will remember their sins no more. No more sacrifice is necessary because your sins have been forgiven once and for all. So so God will remember our sins no more. Does that mean God forgives and forgets. Does this truth that we read throughout the Bible that God will remember our sins no more, does that mean that God himself forgives and forgets? What I would argue is that this isn't saying God can't recall our sins. I don't think the Bible is teaching us that God has some sort of divine amnesia. We talk sometimes about the fact that God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. So does that mean God is all-knowing except for our past sins because he can remember them no more? I don't think this is saying he can't recall them. I think what this is saying is he doesn't hold them against us. There is no need for continual atonement. There is no need for continual payment for our sin because when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin. He sees the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Since early, since early on, we, in the book of Genesis, we read about Adam and Eve and they disobey God. Ever since then, humanity has owed God an unpayable debt. But in Jesus, God has canceled that debt. He doesn't hold our sin over us. He doesn't hold our sin against us. He doesn't bring sin to mind, to our minds to condemn us. He may bring it to our minds so that we confess and repent of it, but the Bible somewhere else says, hey, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, God doesn't bring our sin to mind to condemn us. He doesn't hold it against us. The Old Old Testament sacrifice, the Old Covenant, was an imperfect picture of what was to come in the form of Jesus. So God sent Jesus to die for our sins and establish a new covenant, a better covenant. And part of that covenant meant our sins were paid for once and for all. And God would remember our sins no more. Not that he couldn't recall them, but that he wouldn't hold them against us. So, okay, now that we're hopefully all in the same place, God doesn't forgive and forget. What does that mean for us and how we treat each other? Now, there's so many pastors that talk about forgiveness, we can't possibly go through each one, but I'm gonna read us a parable. Parables are, are stories that Jesus uses to teach principles to his followers. I'm gonna read a parable in, in the book of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, 
Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So what's the point of this parable? The point is that if you have been forgiven, the natural flow is for you to forgive other people. What's interesting about this parable is the amount of of money the, the servant owed the master was equal to 20 years wages. That's an unpayable debt. 20 years of wages, unpayable debt. The amount that the second servant owed the first servant was equal to four months wages. And yet he refused to forgive it. He was forgiven 20 years wages and refused to forgive four months wages. The forgiveness had no effect on the heart of the servant. And in this parable, as it relates to our relationship with God, we are the servant that owes 20 years wages. We are the person that owes an unpayable debt. And so the fact that that God forgives us of that 20 years wages, the fact that God forgives us of an unpayable debt should, should move our hearts in such a way to cause us to desire and forgive other people. And I wanna be careful as I, as I make my next point because I know that a lot of us are harboring bitterness. I know a lot of us have anger and frustration and, and woundedness in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls because of evil and vile things that have happened to us. And I, and I wanna acknowledge that that is real. And I know there's some of you that are with us this morning terrible, unimaginable things have happened to you. But I, but I also want to say this. I think we have a tendency to see our sin and other people's sin disproportionately. I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we tend to look at our sin like it's this small pile and we look at everyone else's sin like it's this gargantuan, humongous pile. 
But in reality, the pile of sin, the pile of debt that other people have towards us pales in comparison to the debt that we have, we had, past tense, towards God. And yet God forgave us. And so I say this to myself, and you can apply it to yourself this morning if you'd like. Who am I not to forgive someone of something that is so little? compared to the enormity of the things that God has forgiven me for. Who am I? You can apply this to yourself if you'd like. Who am I, Jason Lawler, to not forgive someone for the small debt they might have towards me when I look at the enormity of the pile of sin God saved me from? And so how does forgiveness look? What does it look like practically? What does it look like tangibly. Well, well, there's a, an author in the New Testament named Paul. He wrote a lot of letters and a lot of what we read in the New Testament was written by him. And, and he sums it up in a way that leaves pretty little wiggle room. And, and he says this in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Our standard of forgiveness towards other people is the forgiveness that was shown to us through Jesus. So how did he do that? How did Jesus forgive us? Well, he didn't hold our sin against us. He chose not to condemn us. He chose not to hold anything over us. He remembers it no more. It's not at the center of his thinking as he thinks on us, as he dwells on us. The sin that we've had towards him is not at the center of his thinking. Now we've learned that forgiving and remembering no more doesn't mean forgetting. And what it also doesn't mean is reconciliation. See, forgiveness is a one-way offering. I can offer you forgiveness, but that's a one-way offering. That's a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way offering. Reconciliation is a coming together. So when it comes to us and God, God is offering us forgiveness. And it's up to us to say yes to that forgiveness. It's up to us to accept that forgiveness. That's when reconciliation happens. God is offering something something to us. We have to accept it. Now, when it comes to us and other people, right, if a friend wounds you, if a friend talks about you behind your back, if a friend takes advantage of you financially, those wounds are real. If, if a coworker or a classmate takes credit for your work, if you feel excluded from something and there's wounds in your life, there's bitterness in your life, if there's no admittance of wrongdoing, if there's no apology, if there's no, if there's no repentance on the part of the person who's, who's hurt you, who's wronged you, there can't be reconciliation. But you can still extend and offer forgiveness. Because forgiveness doesn't mean restoration of relationship or restoration of trust. Or Forgiveness doesn't mean business as usual. But by forgiving others as Jesus has forgiven us, we are choosing not to hold their offense, their sin, their wrongdoing against them. We are refusing to not hold those things at the center when we think about these people. Now, forgiveness is hard. I'm not a, I'm not a forgiveness expert. And, and, and the irony of this topic of forgive and forget is I actually think forgiveness is the ex- exact opposite of forgetting. I think forgiveness is remembering. We're actually told throughout the entire narrative of the Bible to remember, to remember. And I think when God commands us to remember, he's asking us to, to be mindful of what we're putting at the center of our thinking. 
to be mindful of what we're focusing on. And so I think forgiveness is not forgetting. I think it's remembering. And I think forgiveness is remembering three things. I think the first thing that forgiveness is remembering is the magnitude of our own sin. When we remember and understand the enormity of our own sin and remember the fact that God forgave us of that sin, I do think it becomes easier for us to forgive other people. The second thing forgiveness is remembering is forgiveness is remembering how God views another person. When we remember that somebody that has hurt us was created in the image of God, was somebody that Jesus deemed worthy of dying for, somebody that God created and cherishes and loves and calls his beloved. When we see other people with God's viewpoint, I think it becomes a bit easier for us to forgive. And the third thing that I think forgiveness is remembering is forgiveness is remembering the offense, but actively choosing to let it go. And if you're like me, as I was writing this message and as you're hearing this message, my guess is somebody or something came to mind as I was speaking this morning. And so I'm gonna close with this and I'm gonna invite all of us to do this. I'm gonna do this. I hope you do this at your house. Kids, I encourage you to do this. High school students, middle school students, everybody, I want you to do this. Because I think most of us, somebody came to mind during this, during this uh, time together this morning. I want you to hold out your hand. Clench your fist. In your fist is that thing you haven't let go of yet. That person you're still harboring a grudge against. That person you're still secretly hoping is going to screw up so you can bring up something that you've been waiting to bring up for years. And I'm encouraging us today to let go. Today we're choosing to remember the size of our own debt. And we're choosing to remember that Jesus paid for that debt. Today we're choosing to remember how God sees other people and we're choosing to let go. We're choosing to no longer hold this over someone or against someone. We're choosing to no longer have this at the center of our thinking when we think about that specific person. And so parents, I encourage you for one last time before I close and pray to pause the video. Ask your kids what they're holding in their hand. Ask your kids, hey, who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to forgive this morning? What happened to you that you need to forgive? And once you're done having that conversation, I encourage you to, to resume the video uh, for the, the last few moments we have together. And if you didn't pause, I'm gonna count to three. And I'm gonna encourage us to let go. And after we do that, I'm gonna close us in prayer on the count of three. One, two, three. God, some of us just let go of some, some serious stuff. Some of us, there's real things that have happened in our lives that have wounded us, that have hurt us, that have caused deep, deep pain. And God, I'm not here today to pretend like any of this is easy. And so I pray for these people this morning that, have, that are choosing and desiring to make an active decision moving forward to let things go. I pray that we remember our own sin, not in a way that condemns us, but in a way that reminds us of the enormity of your own forgiveness. God, when we see other people, may we see them with your eyes 
And may we actively choose day by day to let go. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.